the dark mist into the Welcome friends and welcome fellow witches to the Midnight Espa podcast. I'm very excited to be sharing uh, the night with you tonight. It is episode one of season one. I'm leaning over to talk into my mic. I may end up holding it. Um, I need like a proper mic stand. Right now I'm using a tissue box. Anyway, I apologize for any crazy breathing, chewing, or barking that you hear. Those are my dogs. They refuse to leave me alone. Um, the song I just played for you is going to be our intro song, at least for this season. I will probably not play the entire song every episode, maybe just the chorus, like that ending part you heard. Um, and it may sound different every time you hear it. I'm tempted to play around with, like using a electric guitar and an amplifier, including like keyboard, um, creating like a full mix song for it. That will become the intro, but for now, I think it'd be fun to play it live. And also, since I wrote the song, I can play it in whatever style of music that I like. So um, you may hear it like on a ukulele or something like that. Anyway, I wanna continue with this little exposition really quick, um, or prologue, I don't know. But it is the Sunday, the 11th of October. This episode was, was supposed to come out a week prior, but when I had had this exact setup, nothing decided to work, which is weird because um, as far as I'm aware, we are not in Mercury retrograde yet, and we're still actually in the shadow period. In fact, I think we're deeper in the shadow period than we were last week. I can tell you exactly, actually, where we are. I just have to go to my astro chart I have here. Um, I actually sent this little astro, it's not a chart, it's like a list. Yeah, Mercury retrograde is until the 14th. So um, you can check out the list of all the different astro transits that are happening, including any uh, like what the season is and as in bleh, what the season is in terms of the like the zodiac as well as like actual um, transits, the moon phases and any sabbats that are happening in my email newsletters. I send that to you guys every month if you want to join. I think it's coven.velamore.com. Um, anyway, this is season one, episode one of the Midnight Espa podcast, formerly known as Becoming the Beauty Witch or the Beauty Witch podcast. I have decided to transition how I'm going to be creating content, focusing more on just the creation aspect, focusing more on community, um, and less on me. I will probably eventually transition my URL name to Dark Moon Coven, but for now, it's really hard to make that transition technically. So right now that's probably the only part that's going to stay like really Vela quote unquote focused. Of course, all my social media will remain the same because it's my like personal social media I use. 
Um, but the way that this podcast is changing is instead of it being all about glamour and beauty magic, I'm transitioning it to be more about just witchy stuff. Um, I have like I've been obsessed with talking about witchcraft since about 2014-15 and so it's really easy for me to create content for this as well I have started to really become um, disenchanted with the beauty community and industry it's just extremely consumer consumer focused um it, like capitalist is basically what I mean it's not sustainable and there's like too much drama like I just can't do it so all of that is actually, a, like everything I just talked about, um, is an integral part of our episode today because I'm going to be sharing with you how I've uncovered my own personal great work and how you can sort of go on that journey yourself without having to do all of the awful mistakes that I went through um, the past two years. This started two years ago. So I'm going to jump right in. Um, we're talking about great work today. I have uh, adopted that term from the book Glamour Magic by Deborah Castellano. I've talked about that book many a time. It is one of my absolute favorites. And although it is about glamour magic, it is more than that. It's actually about how to do witchcraft, like the actual how. And less of the, well, you need an altar, and then you need to burn candles, and um, the rest you got to figure out kind of book that's typical of intro to witchcraft books. This book is definitely more advanced, and one I am incredibly partial to. I've read it twice. Uh, twice is, I mean, I'm in the middle of reading it my second time. I'm a little over halfway done, um, but twice. So I love the concept of great work. So what the heck is great work? Great work is that which you're meant to offer the world or the gift that you are meant to give away, how you help the world heal and grow as your own individual person. And it's ever evolving. It's never a set in stone thing. It's not a destiny. Um, it changes. You can accomplish great work within your lifetime. You can accomplish multiple great works within your lifetime. I love um, Castellano's comparison to alchemy's Philosopher's Stone. Alchemists can achieve the Philosopher's Stone within their lifetime and then go on to achieve other great discoveries and inventions. Would it count as an invention? I'm not sure. But that's the goal, is to create, at least for now, the gift that you're meant to give the world and what it is that you are meant to achieve. Also, over here on this side of my monitor situation, I have the blog post that is corresponding with the podcast episode. If you're not a watcher, if you're not a listener, and you're a reader, this is where you would go. If you need, like, notes or um, a written version or even an image focused version, like a visual version of this podcast. It's all here on the written blog post. And of course, you can listen along. There's a widget to listen or watch the YouTube video. Sometimes great work is really mundane. It's what you decided you wanted to be in high school, like what you decided to go to college for. It's your ma uh, major or it's um, the career that you decided to follow. Or sometimes it's really vague. So like the two examples I give in the blog are my great work is to become a nurse and help people versus my great work is to heal people's soul with touch. The how in those two statements are very different, even though they could mean the same thing. And that makes them different great work. So as we discover and learn about great work in this episode. We'll also be learning about the themes of rebirth, how shadow work comes into play, and understanding your Chiron placement in astrology or your karmic wound. So I gotta give a little backstory or like a little personal story about this. Two years ago in 2018, um, if you were on my Instagram, you may have seen it. I actually performed a rebirth a rebirthing ceremony for myself it was bad 
Um, so let me state how and why I decided to do this rebirth ceremony first before we get into like the specifics. Um, I, so before I was 24, 25 in 2018, I had a very clear indication of what my great work was, but I didn't call it that. It was like my life's passion or my personal mission. Like I knew what those were and it was, I was going to create music or art for people. And then it evolved into, I'm going to create a spiritual minded community around beauty. You may have been a part of that, or you may have seen, like scrolling through past things that I have still available, seen bits and pieces of that. However, about 2018, I had begotten, I had begotten, I had become very overwhelmed and burnt out, mainly with my current, the job I had at the time, but also because I was like having my quarter life crisis. I was 25. I never expected myself to live that long. And I don't mean that in like a morbid way. I mean that in the same kind of way that like seven-year-olds think 19 is old. It was just like, whoa, I never could envision or wrap my head around me being a true adult. And so having that like realization that, oh, hi, I'm an adult now. Um, Plus I have and continue to have a mortgage, two dogs, um, obviously my spouse, and then like just everything plus my job was extremely demanding. Up Before then, I had only worked about 40 hours a week, but about that time I had begun working 60 hours consistently, like over a year. I had worked 60 hours a week, um, and that was not even any weekend work. I would still be expected to respond to emails on the weekend, but during Monday through Friday, I would typically work 10 to 12 hour days every day. It was not healthy. I was extremely burnt out and really depressed. So I thought, oh, this is going to be a little triggering. Why don't I kill myself uh, spiritually and then be reborn and sort of refresh, restart? I really felt like a, even though I couldn't do that physically, literally by uh like moving to a different country changing my name and getting a new job like I couldn't do that sort of like rehumanization um I could do it spiritually and metaphorically and I thought that would provide the same sense of relief I also saw one of my favorite influencers um portray something similar on her Instagram When I say portray, I mean she did not lay it out word for word exactly what she did. She alluded to it, and I was extremely inspired because she's a very inspiring person. Um, And so I decided to take that inspiration and run with it and make up my own thing. Like I said before, it was bad because I didn't understand the implications of what this would trigger. So not only did I do this death and rebirth Instagram challenge, which was extremely shallow, it was seven pictures of you going through the rebirth cycle, um, starting with the death. So taking like a picture of, um, you as you are going through the funeral, like grieving clothing, the decay showing you actively taking steps to dismantle old parts of yourself. So maybe this could be like your big pile of clutter that is overwhelming you. The decay could be your resignation letter, Um, Other things that show like a decaying of your past self. It could even be like a makeup look or something. I think I did like a bathtub photo of me taking like this, like I had a red bath bomb and I took like a bath. Um, Day four was the dream. So this is like a vision board or like a visionary portrait of who you want to be reincarnated or reborn into. Um, then five is the con conception. So this is like very sexual energy, um, very much like energy building day six was the build. So this is another like in progress picture similar to the decay. And then day seven is the birthday. And I made like a cake and everything I had during this whole time. I was like dyeing my hair and like writing in my journal about bad habits I wanted to release and creating morning routines. And it felt very superficial. But like two years ago, I didn't understand magic in the way that I do now. And I didn't understand how intentions actually worked and how the universe 
will give you what you wish for in the ways, and if you're not specific, it will screw you over. Like, I didn't, I was naive, you know? So, I took all of this, like, naivete and desire just to change, and I didn't actually do anything with that energy besides, fill, like, funnel it into Instagram posts and not do any shadow work. I didn't do any work on my inner self. I thought that, you know, I will take a symbolic picture of me, like, as in grieving clothes, like, all black for my past self, and that's all I have to do to dismantle all the things in me that I want to get rid of. And instead of actually doing the work of dismantling all of that stuff, I'm going to instead put layers over it or like modge podge over it of new routines or new systems I wanted to develop. So basically I was just suppressing things I didn't like about myself and trying to cover it up with whatever fancy aesthetic thing I could think of. And this leads me into Chiron. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I'm going to continue to pronounce it that way. Um, I apologize if that's extremely cringy to hear because it's not how to pronounce it. Because during this time, this journey, so this, I expected this journey, this rebirth cycle to go through seven days. That's what I had planned. And this should instantly tell you how dumb I was about this, how much I did not know. I knew a lot about glamour magic and like magic of changing your appearance and then changing your inner like self, but I didn't know like shadow work yet. Um, at least not in the way that I know it now. So during, I thought it would take seven days, but instead it took two years. Um, <laughs> It took two years, and I'm still in the middle of this process. Like, I'm not done. I'm, like, half-baked. So, it's going to take probably four, and I literally just started my Saturn return. So, who knows? It could take till the end of my Saturn return. This could have just been the lead-up to it. I should have taken, like, an astrology snapshot of where my life was during this period, and seen like seeing what I was going through. I should have prepared that for this podcast, but I didn't. Um, anyway, during that those two years, and really almost immediately after the seven days, because I did the seven days and I think I posted like a few more pieces of content after that, but then I, I honestly disappeared from the internet, except for coming back here and there. But during this time I sort of like touched my Chiron wound and reopened it. So all right. We're going to completely switch gears, and now I'm going to tell you about this centaur guy. So, according to Greek mythology, there was this centaur named Chiron, whose dad was Kronos, a.k.a. Saturn, and um, his mom was Philira, Philira, I think is how you pronounce it. She was a water nymph. There are a lot of different myths or stories about how his conception came to be. Um, <laughs> one being that Kronos actually raped Philira, and it was the disgust of this centaur, like, rape child, um, that he was abandoned by both his dad and mom. There's another story that they were just actually lovers, but Kronos' um, true wife or spouse, I don't remember who, maybe like Athena or Aphrodite, Aphrodite or whatever, was not keen on him having infidelity. So he transformed himself into a um, stallion so that way he could basically be with his lover in disguise and somehow she like forgot about Chiron and he was left alone. But anyway, Chiron was not raised by neither his mother or father and instead by the sun or the sun god Apollo. And Apollo, if you don't know anything about him, is incredibly smart. Um, he like knows all of this knowledge and he just taught it all to guy Chiron. So Chiron became this um, incredible and well-known healer, teacher, and prophet, especially to, and like a mentor, especially to um, 
the heroes, mortal heroes, um, and other, otherworldly heroes. Um, he was like a teacher to Achilles and, uh, Hercules. And actually it is the Hercules story that we're going to be touching on. So again, the story is like a little confused here on how this happened, but essentially... Hercules accidentally hit Chiron with a poisoned arrow. And not just any poisoned arrow, but an arrow poisoned with um, the venom, I guess, of a hydron, a hydron, hydron, hydro, hydra, hydra, of a hydra. Um, yeah, so he pierced the skin of Chiron on, it's been said, on his knee or on just his thigh with this hydra-poisoned arrow. Some stories say that for some reason Hercules was in a fight with a bunch of other centaurs, and I guess Chiron came to, like, break it up because he was, like, a liaison between the two, um, like, factions of immortals, and Hercules just shot him on accident, or Hercules and Chiron were hanging out in Chiron's, like, living room, and Hercules is like, look at this cool arrow I got, and drops it on his leg. Like, there's a bunch of different <laughs> ways that Chiron gets wo wounded, and so Chiron is uh, a healer, and he can't heal himself because of the Hydra poison, and he is also a friend of Hercules, so he has no, like, vengeance or, like, bad feelings towards Hercules after this event, and Hercules is incredibly, incredibly regretful. Um, but lastly, Chiron is immortal, and this wound to a human would be fatal, but instead it is just intense, deep agony, a wound that will never, ever heal. So outside of this issue we got going on between Chiron and Hercules, like this little event, um, you have another problem going on between Zeus and Prometheus. And it's the, the like classic tale of Prometheus's torture. So Prometheus decided that he wanted to bestow fire upon mortals. He wanted to give them the gift of fire. Um, and Zeus didn't like that. Zeus thought that was bad. He didn't want the mortals to have that kind of power. And plus, Prometheus stole the fire from Olympus. So Zeus is like, bro, you can't do that. I'm going to have to punish you now. And his punishment is to tie Prometheus to a big old rock and have his liver eaten out every day. Because Prometheus is a god, so he's immortal. Um, and Zeus has these, like, super cool immortal eagle things, and the eagles are hungry, so Zeus is like, go eat his liver, it's like free buffet, and they eat his liver every morning or every day, and then overnight, Prometheus's liver unfortunately grows back and is again eaten by the eagle again. So it's this ever, like forever cycle of just his liver getting eaten out and then it grows back and it gets eaten out again and he can't even like go about his day because he's tied to this rock so he can't even like defend himself um so this is happening all at the same time as hercules accidentally stabbing chiron with a arrow a poisoned arrow at that so obviously Hercules' dad is Zeus, and so, and he knows that this is happening between Zeus and Prometheus. So Chiron and Hercules come to Zeus, and they're like, look, dude, it's kind of shitty that you did this to Prometheus, and also, like, we think man is pretty cool. I mean, like, Hercules is like, I'm half a human, so really, dad? Um... And Chiron is like, I am in so much pain, like, please kill me. And he sacrifices himself to, he, he doesn't sacrifice himself, he sacrifices his immortality, so that way Prometheus doesn't have to deal with this issue. And it's like a little fuzzy, like all the details, but essentially uh, 
Zeus thinks this is like a pretty cool thing that Chiron did. He lets Promethe Prometheus free and he puts Chiron into the stars as a constellation as a sort of honoring to his sacrifice. And the moral of the story is Chiron's sacrifice um, shows us that it is through our incurable and absolutely deep and agonizing wounds that we are able to offer our greatest gifts to the world. Because basically, without Chiron, like Chiron already was doing a bunch of great stuff for the world, but without him, he's essentially saying like, we were able to give more to the mortals because now like this taboo had gotten over with in ancient Greek god ethics, I guess. I don't know. But the moral is it's through these deep karmic incurable wounds that you're able to find your gift. And so that is the story of Chiron. That is what your karmic wound is all about. The incurable, I don't know how many times I have to say that, but you cannot cure it. You cannot cure this wound. It's your incurable karmic wound. It is the thing that you will, like the big lesson you got to learn. Um, and it is in your astrology chart. There's an asteroid. It's huge. Like people have considered, consi people have thought about considering it a um, mini planet like Pluto is now, but it's huge. It's in between Saturn and Uranus and it's this giant asteroid that um, is Chiron and where it is in the sky will tell you sort of where your karmic wound is. And it was through these last two years where I got the uh, glimpse of that sacred but poisonous arrow. So this is when the shadow work started. Usually in shadow work, when you are doing wound work, um, it's wounds that had either happened to you in your current lifetime or in an ancestral lifetime. So like ancestral wounds. A good example of this would be if somebody in your family had been a former slave and the and it's in memorable it's in our current memorable history. So I would consider like um, people of African descent who live in the United States right now have ancestral rooms like ancestral wounds around slavery most likely. Even though, like, they didn't live through slavery, they have relatives in probably, like, living memory. Because it was not long ago that have memories or have relationships with those people. Their grandparents' grandparents or something like that. Um, so it's through, so I would consider that a like shadow working wound work um mo so most of the time it's like trauma you have experienced physically in your personal body or trauma that your ancestors have directly experienced um and it could be very specific to your family it could be like your great-grandmother was a um, victim of domestic violence and although your mother was able to break that cycle of abuse you still have wounds from that you do even though you have had a better life um, because of all the work your mom did that's still wound work you would have to do however Chiron wound work and usually okay so let me explain how you would do normal wound work and shadow work um, basically you rip off the scab everything that you've told yourself about this wound you open it up and then you actually heal it with medicine and the medicine could be ther literal therapy it could be um, a lot of spiritual medicine, like doing uh, journaling or working with groups of people, all that kind of stuff. Typically, it is conscious healing that you're doing. You're purposely going through this. Um, and a lot of times it feels like therapy. However, <laughs> Chiron wound work is different. While there may be trauma surrounding your Chiron wound, there is no sense of a source. Uh, it feels just inherent, like a part of you, and it's never going to be able to be healed. There is no, like, like, you may 
come, you may have peace around it, but there is no putting a band-aid on it. There is no, like, source to heal. There is no, like, it's a phantom wound, almost. And it's, this experience is, like, super personal, so I can't, like, tell you how to go about this. All I can tell you is what happened to me, and I'm going to tell you that. So, uh, during this time, I, it's two years, we're talking about a span of two years from, well, almost, probably a year and three quarters. So, it starts in December of 2018, that is when I, like, did this death and rebirth Instagram, and then all of 2019 was awful, personally, and then 2020 happened, I had all this energy, and it was awful, not personally, just in general, and it's still happening, so we're almost to December, so it's almost two years, um, and during this time, I had a lot of issues surrounding control. I was still extremely overwhelmed, even though I quit my job in 2019 um, and got a different job. I didn't feel any different than the person I was when I was working 60 hours a week. I actually thought it was the job that was causing me to be this way. I kept telling myself, you know what, maybe if I work part-time or I work in a completely different industry doing something completely different, I'll be able to have the mental clarity and space that I want to function because at this point I was starting to become unfunctional, unfunctional, but that wasn't, that wasn't it because my wound was based off of my inherent personality. It's great. And that's when I sort of figured it out. So in 2019, I went on this like year long journey between trying to figure out what is wrong with me to doing the opposite of healthy, healthy behavior and instead focusing on really self-destructive coping mechanisms that I that I was delusional and thinking would help to seeing the light and quitting my job, um, which ended up turning out to be just a simple band-aid. And I've continued to work through this in a more like physical way, um, like healing my physical body kind of way. Um, and it's not over. I feel like I've literally just started. I just had this epiphany like two months ago. Um, so my Chiron, my Chiron wound, I will tell you about it. Um, my Chiron astrology placement is under Virgo in the fourth house. To keep matters simple and short, I will tell you that this means I have a really hard time figuring out my own emotional wants and needs because I assume that I am supposed to be like the stoic person, perfect person. However, I am able to use this like, somehow to understand the needs and wants of others, and so I'm able to over-nurture them. Um, the fourth house is the house of family and, like, home, home stuff. Um, it is ruled by cancer, so you can sort of think of, like, that cancer archetype of being, like, the mom friend, but then Virgo sort of throws it askew and puts this cold um, perfectionism, like, lens over everything. So I throw all of this like random expectations of myself um, to be perfect and to nurture everyone around me, but I assume that I don't need any of that. And it took me a really, really, really hard, long, long, long time and a hard lesson to learn that. That was actually what was happening. Like I literally had read about my Chiron when I did my very first birth chart like reading. You can like uh, make it populate like all of the different interpretations of where all your stuff is and like it didn't mean anything to me at the time but now it does so anyway what I have learned is I can take that like incessant need to nurture others and instead turn it around and make it not only about how do I speak for how do I be my own self-advocate first of all because you can't put this is weird. This sounds really weird now because of COVID, but it's a airplane reference. You can't put on your child's mask. You have to put your own like oxygen mask on first, because if you pass out, then you aren't going to be able to help anybody. So you have to put your own oxygen mask on first, and then you can put everybody else's on, like those wacky children you got. So like that was a lesson I had to learn. But it's through this Chiron wound that I was able to learn that, and then take 
the ability to articulate people's wants, needs, and emotions, um, and make them louder and make myself realize, like, I need the same. It's complicated. Uh, it's still hard for me to put words to. It's still hard for me to describe because I'm not done working with it. However, that doesn't mean that I haven't figured out my great work because that I feel much more secure about than I do on exactly what my Chiron wound is. So how the heck do you use this information of like, how would I use all of this to create my great work? So during my reread of uh, Glamour Magic, there's the chapter on great work. And I think she actually talks about it for a majority of the book. Um, but in it, she talks about finding your great work. And there's actually little experiments and rituals for you to go about doing it. So I made the effort to actually do it this read through before I had just like read the book really fast. Um, but this time I'm doing a much more like close, careful reading of the book and actually performing a majority of the experiments. Some of them I'm not doing because they're like too social and I'm not a social person or like you literally can't do it anymore because of COVID. Like there's no parties or like large gatherings to go to. So it's just like, ugh. Um, but I took her advice and I sort of created my own three part process. So this process I'm going to tell you about. Okay, so part one is the Great Work Tarot Spread. So I actually created this tarot spread while I was doing um, the very first esoteric experiment, is what she calls it, uh, in the book. And so the experiment is take, your, take things that are related to your craft, if that's an altar, if that's tarot deck, if that's like <laughs> marijuana or music or whatever it is that feels like just a journal, whatever it is that calls to you, take it and then go somewhere out in nature that you're not familiar with and sit there until you have an answer to the question, what is my great work? So I sort of did this. I am not comfortable in nature really ever um, because of my like extreme fear of flying insects. So what I did was I went to the park close to my house. Also, I have a huge fear of people and it was during COVID. So like I was just anxious the whole time. When I say fear of people, I mean more like I just am antisocial. <laughs> um, so I, I took all of my stuff. I took my tarot deck. I took a journal. I took some offerings with me. I took a jacket and a backpack. And I went to my local park, which is still a park I'm not very familiar with. I did not grow up in this area that I live in currently. So all of the parks and trails and stuff, I don't know very well. And I don't have enough time in my life to explore them like I did as a child. So I just sort of like went and then I found, I like hopped around a bunch of places until I found this like tree sort of down um, a hill. So like anybody in the majority of the park, they would have to climb down the hill to see the where I was sitting at the base of this tree. And I offered the tree, like the tree roots before I even set up my, I think I had a, like incense sticks too. Yeah, because I remember I lit the incense and I wafted it around to cleanse the, like, energies. And then I offered the tree, like, just pure tobacco. That's, like, one of my favorite offerings ever. And then also uh, a 50-cent coin. I love offering coins because I feel like it's just, like, a magical offering. So I set that in, like, the little nook in the roots. And they had, like, it had, like, a perfect little spot. I think it was a maple tree. I met my friend Gerald, who is a gigantic ant, and I sat there until the only thing that I could think of to do to figure out my great work was pull cards. I had like all these ideas running in my head, but they all felt disingenuous. They felt very like motivated by capitalistic gain or by like physical wants and needs, which that's dumb, right? having a corporeal form. Um, anyway, so I pulled the cards and I pulled four. I actually have my grimoire page. Oh, I have multiple, multiple of them. 
but I have all of them here that I'm going to be referencing. But I pulled four. This is not in focus, but as you can see, I drew them. Um, and this is how you would pull them. So the first card you pull is the card that represents your strengths. And then opposite that, you're going to pull another card for your weaknesses. And then on the right side, you're going to pull a card that represents help that people ask of you. So what this means is when people come to you without you, like, prompting them, this is the kind of advice that they're asking from you. This is how they need your help. When people ask you for a favor, this is typically how it's asked or what it's about. And then opposite that one on the left side is going to be the card that is the help you are eager to give. So what this means in contrast is this is the help that you're giving unsolicited. This is the unsolicited advice that you always want to give people. This is how you wish you could help the world. And the reason there's a distinction is because what people are often going to you for may not match with what kind of help you want to give. And basically it shows the difference between what your desires are, how you view yourself, how you value yourself and what you should be doing versus your actual talents, what you're good at and what people find valuable in you. And sometimes they align pretty closely and other times they're going to be feel pretty opposite. But you'll basically pull these four cards. The first two, strengths and weaknesses, are sort of like an objective. Hey, this is what you're good at. This is what you're bad at. Um, and then the second two are to give you a better idea of like how to translate those strengths and weaknesses into helping people that serves them and also fulfills you. You want to find the happy medium in the middle of those four cards. Like you want to like if this was a giant. Venn diagram of four bubbles, you want to find that middle bubble. So I'm going to read to you what I pulled. For my strengths, I pulled the moon. For my weaknesses, I pulled the seven of pentacles. For the help people ask from me, I pulled the eight of swords. And for the help I am eager to give, I pulled the six of wands. And my reading is, I am someone with the natural ability to see that which others cannot. I can shine a light in an otherwise dark place, not to romanticize it or alter it, but to make it to make exploring that place easier. My weaknesses highlight my inability to take action. However, I have a hard time seeing things through to the end. I am a good philosopher and thinker, but I struggle putting things into motion. When helping others, I frequently am asked to get them out of a sticky situation, either externally or internally. Because of my ability to see many sides of situations, I can help others forge a path through their struggle. As I do this, though, I usually am able to also see others' potential. This is how I want to help others when they come to me. Not only do I want to help them get out of the situation, but I also want to ignite their inner light. I am able to perceive how far they've come as well as the, oh, I can't read, as well as the potential road ahead. And I want to offer others that perspective of themselves as well. So that's sort of my underlying thought about my uh, tarot reading. And as you can see, it doesn't actually give me an answer to the question, what is my great work? And it was after I'd pulled all these cards that I realized I still don't know what it is. And so that's when I moved on to a practice, a meditation that I invented based off of uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. And it was a meditation on the Mirror of Erised. So I love this idea that the Mirror of Erised shows you not what you want, but your heart's truest, deepest desires. And I wanted to see that for myself. I wanted to get a glimpse because sometimes those desires, they they don't feel genuine or they you can't see them because you're too wrapped up in jealousy, in material wants and needs, in capitalistic gain, and you can't see what truly you want underneath of it all. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to meditate and I'm going to pretend that I'm looking into the mirror of Erised. So how do you do this second part? So this is part two to discovering your great work. 
this is how you do it. You get a physical mirror. I had a small one that was like that big. I just set it in front of me and you look at yourself until you literally become like so unfocused and just a blob of yourself because you're just zoning out that you're able to sort of like step into the inner realm. You can close your eyes at this point. I typically keep them open because once I close my eyes, I can no longer visualize. I have a hard time doing that. Um, so I just kept them open so I could so sort of like see like it's all white around me, like white cloudy. And then like my form was like glowing. Typical experience when zoning out. Um, typical visual experience. So I'm just sort of like letting myself, like letting my eyes unfocus and like not work anymore so I can look inside. And I'm going to read to you what I wrote so that way you can get a sort of good idea of how to do this practice in your own, your own time. Um, I wrote this after I was done with the meditation. So I tried to memorize it as much as I could and write it all down as soon as I was done in my grimoire. But it, it's like a, like one piece of paper. So it's not like super in depth. So I say, as I stand in front of the mirror, I can see myself in the, and the room behind me. I notice it's dark and vague behind me. My eyes fall upon myself. I instantly see that I can see myself fully, but now this time I have a more in-shape body. I look like I am stronger, happier, and brighter. It's obvious that I take good care of my physical health. Very nice. So at this point, even though I was like looking at myself like an like a visual, like vision of myself sort of overlaid the literal weird out of focus person that I was in the mirror. And I continue. My eyes focus on what is coming forward all around my reflection. A group of ungendered, unfaced, and unknown people from around form around me. They're holding various musical instruments. I can feel their smiles and warmth. Chris, that's my partner, is also there in the forefront holding my hand. As I stare more at the people around me, a crowd begins to form around us. They're also ungendered and faceless. They whispered things like, you saved my life and you gave my feelings words. After I look at all of them, I look back to my reflection and I see I am holding a microphone. The band, as I call them, and the crowd step back into the shadows and I no longer see them. This time, my dogs are at, the, at my feet, as well as books with my name as author materialize. The whispering is replaced with my music. I can quote unquote see DMs, comments, um, letters, emails flooding in. So like while I was visualizing this, I would see like text bubbles and like hearts for likes and like letters, like words and stuff. Um, none of it was very specific, but I would see things that were, like, in the same sentiment. So things like, oh, you saved my life, stuff like that. Um, everything was saying how much I've made a difference to them. At first, I thought my deepest desire was to be famous, but I quickly realized that it was more about using my voice to make a difference on a large scale. My reflection never drops her mic, but instead holds it firmly and confidently. I realize that all I ever want is to perform art that is meaningful and dedicated to a cause and not to perform just to perform. And the medium doesn't matter as long as I'm using my voice. So I feel like we're getting somewhere. That was part two of the finding the your great work, um, like as actual exercises. So I felt like I was getting somewhere. I had a lot of momentum from this meditation. I felt a little more secure and it did feel true to everything I had sort of told myself about myself since childhood. It had aligned with all of the dreams I had ever wanted, all of the like deepest passions I had ever felt. Everything was aligning. But I still didn't really feel like I had this like clear and strong grasp on what my great work actually was. So this is part three and the final part to uncovering your great work. And that is synthesizing your philosopher's stone. This 
idea I did get from Glamour Magic by Deborah Castellano, but also it is obviously inspired by just alchemy in general. And you can assume also inspired by Harry Potter and the Philosopher or the Sorcerer's Stone. So the idea of this exercise is to take the things that you've learned from your tarot guidance, which is supposed to be this like objective, high-level guidance from spirit, the universe, your guides, whatever, just your unconscious, and more reflective work based on what you want, an inner subjective idea. And you're supposed to combine them to create to create your philosopher's stone. So in alchemy, a philosopher's stone is the end goal. It is the stone that is able to convert um, iron to gold. It is the stone that is able to procure the elixir of life. It is everything that you need, everything that an alchemist could ever want is the philosopher's stone. That that is the last level of the game. And so you need to synthesize that out of the pieces that you've already done. And how I had put this into a literal exercise or practice was just with a simple journal prompt. The prompt was reflect on what you learned and develop a succinct, succinct, succinct why and a succinct how, um, as well as a succinct what. So I'm sorry, I messed that up. So the way I had developed this into an actual exercise was by creating just a simple journal prompt. And it was the journal prompt that would help you understand the what and the how. You create a physical philosopher's stone in the sense that you create like a mission statement or a vision statement. You create an actual journey to follow so that way you can achieve your great work. Um, it's very like practical feeling. So I'm just going to read to you what I wrote on my piece of paper because it's just a simple journal prompt. Um, I didn't actually write the prompt down, but on my blog post, you'll be able to see it um, and follow along. But part three says on my grimoire notes, part three says, as I reflect on my tarot guidance and what I saw in the mirror of Erised, I think about some basic truths about myself that I had learned. One, I am here to help others find their way in the dark. Two, I am ruled by Mercury. Mercury. Two, I am ruled by Mercury and have always had a natural gift for speaking, singing, and language. My chart is ruled by Mercury. Oh my gosh. By the way, I that I didn't like learn from the last two exercises, but it was something that I sort of had to come to terms with is that even though I have this like stellium in Scorpio that I would always be a Gemini rising and always have an entire chart completely ruled by Mercury and not just any Mercury, but a retrograded one. Um, and then finally, the last truth I learned about myself is it is my gift to speak to things that otherwise have no language or voice to give meaning and understanding to the soul's abstraction, to have a message that saves people this is what I want for myself. And I continue on. Now I must determine the what, aka my core message, and the how, aka my medium of my philosopher's stone. So I have to come up with the what it does, so create the elixir of life, and the how it does that. So I must take these truths and distill them into a mission, goals, and daily action. So I must outline explicitly the what and the how. So I did. The what. The what, aka my core message, is as follows. It's kind of a long, a long uh, segment. Um, but I say, based on my strengths and my truths, I believe it is my most natural position to take those deep, dark, taboo things that people have inside of them that they are too afraid to admit and make it known. Then to help them either face it head on or dismantle it um, or otherwise embrace it. I want people to feel good about being weird, overly emotional, loud, silly, spiritual, or sexual. That these things are strengths to be held and flaunted instead of hidden away in shame. 
I also want to show people that it's okay to have parts of yourself that you're still working on, that it's okay to admit you're wrong or ignorant. I want to give people the strength and language to grow and heal. And I think that as a core, I think that last sentence is my core message. I want to give people the strength and the language to grow and heal. So then how the heck am I supposed to do that? So this is where I sort of come up with my medium and my tactics. Like, like I said, it's very practical. So this is what I wrote. I said, I think the first thing I need to do is stop. I need to stop thinking of my great work as a business and more like just an art um, or a grassroots, grassroots, oh my gosh, I can't talk, grassroots campaign or personal mission. I need to do the work to switch my perspective from my own personal gain and satisfaction and instead to the everyday journey for the sake of creating art for art. I say in general, I want my philosopher's stone to center around three forms of voice that I think I'm particularly good at. One is writing, two is speaking, and three is singing. So the mediums I think I'm more naturally, ugh, naturally inclined to are a band music, um, a band music, a band slash music, a podcast, and a zine or a blog. And I want the three mediums to be a part of the same collection, eventually being the foundation for a otherwise bigger campaign or mission. So that's really exciting. So that is my great work. That's my how. Um, the last part, sort the last like big paragraph sort of distilling how I would want to promote my message. And then finally, after I had done all of these exercises, I sort of took the time to draw out like a cute little bullet journal-esque. You can't see because I don't have automatic focus on my lens, but like this cute bullet journal-esque quote that is a distilled like one sentence statement about what my great work is. And I say, it's my great work to assure others that they're not alone in their darkest nights through my words, spoken, written, or sung. Simple. And like I said, great work is not permanent. While this may feel very much aligned with my personal mission statement, um, something I want to work at for a majority of my life, I may quote unquote accomplish this or sooner than I would think and therefore have to create or synthesize a new great work. That is a natural part of the process. It could be something where this great work no longer aligns and now I have to synthesize another one or I have to rework it and create a different version, a revised version of it. Great work is not meant to be your destiny. It is not meant to be something that you work on incessantly, even without the want. I personally believe great work um, can only be really understood properly after understanding your Chiron wound, but it's not always clear how to go about processing that. So I think simply looking at your chart and understanding where Chiron lives within your chart is a good place to start. I would not suggest going through a rebirth cycle purposely. I would not suggest initiating that. It was really, really bad. But I do suggest working on your shadows. That is a way easier way to work on the parts of you that you think need to get healed before you can work through great work. And you'll be surprised just how much all that shadow work will assist you in pursuing your great work and uncovering it. Anyway, I just want to say thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight at our Midnight Espa. Um, if you're still here, oh my gosh, you've been amazing for hanging out with me like the whole... I haven't edited this yet, but I assume it's going to be an hour. Um, I hope to publish one of these every single week. The theme is to publish, or the goal, I would say, is to publish every weekend sometime in the weekend, with the goal being Saturdays. <laughs> because of my track record as a content creator, I want to be really lenient with myself, and I want to push myself on a day-by-day, -day, weekly basis. I have a bad habit of thinking I need to, like, batch 10 pieces of content at once to get ahead of myself, and then instead of actually getting ahead of myself, I just burn myself out for literally no reason. 
So instead I'm trying to take it more day by day, just get through today, make it work, move on kind of situation. Um, I do want to give you a little more background on the Midnight Espa podcast if you care. Um, so Espa is the word for a non-Sabbath or non-holiday gathering of witches. So like a just ev- like weekly coven gathering is called an Espa or uh, E-S-B-A-T. And then Midnight because um, this is probably going to happen late at night. <laughs> For me, at least. Anyway, I'm really excited. Next week is a week all about using tarot as a form of self-care. And then after that, I believe we're going to start discussing Samhain. So it's going to be juicy. Um, Thanks again for sticking around. I had a great time with you tonight. I hope that you have a great um, night ahead of you if you got stuff going on. Or a great sleep. See you later, coven.